Hello. Hello. How do you do? I am good. Now, is my voice still all high and weird? No, it's back to normal. I think it must be a car thing. Maybe you sound different in your car. They came out, and then um, I'm like, and you know my thing about if you're not at this meeting five minutes after the start, I don't want this meeting anymore, but that was not to be safe today. And I'm like, if you know, like, don't revolve around you. <sighs> Bye. All the fine. Right. Do you want? Do you want to wait until you get home, or do you want to start? No, this is fine. I'm like, uh, I can I can drive around as long as you feel like the quality wow. is. You don't have to drive around. First off, hey, you don't have to drive around. I'm gonna be here all day. B, I hear all this wind in the background. <laughs> oh, okay, that's okay. Let me see. You know what? Why did you just? Say? I hear all this wind in the background. Is that better? Well, yeah, but, like, you don't have to inconvenience yourself. You're on your way home. I'm here. I'll, no, I'll we're not going to keep pushing this back because, oh look, no you've way. been reading tarot. Like, you are like, we got goals. We are going to push on them. And I'm, like, scared now. You're getting crystals. You're not going to put a root on me for, for uh, standing in the way of your dreams. <laughs> like, I would not um, culturally appropriate New Orleans Voodoo, Thank voodoo you. culture and, and good. Because let me tell you, it will bounce off of me and boomerang back to you because we do that in this family, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. I remember that joke from a different world. It's like them um, New Orleans girls. <laughs> ha <Ha-ha. laughs> to the ha! It's true. Um, we definitely give Southern Belle, who could probably poison you, vibes. Oh. You know, that was a popular threat of mine when I was dating Mike. I'm like, mm. I will, you better keep it together, sir. You mm. will not wake up. Mm. And somehow, that's the, he still married me, That which is interesting. Well. Well. Mm. All right. So, um, I know we had talked about today, black and the school system. Um, did we... We wanna to, to go there today? I mean we may as well. It was it was on our minds. Um I guess we should do an introduction again of what are we called? I forget. We can oh, no, you change our name. Yeah. I know. Every time every time I think we've settled and then I don't know. I think I think it's under uh, feeling some kind of way was what we ultimately ended up with because I forgot that we had changed it because we change it like every two weeks. Um, and this is Annette. This is Angelique. And did you know we're coming up on our one year anniversary of the Facebook page that we made for it? It is September 25th, it's our anniversary. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, well, look, that's good progress. Uh, look, we went from uh, zero, no, we went <laughs> every three months to yeah, two. In two weeks, that's pretty good. Just for the record, it's not like we don't talk like at least every other day, excluding weekends. It's just a matter of not recording the conversation. Right. We would literally have a bank of like we would have a Prince level 
bank of recordings if we recorded every conversation. Y'all would be like, why are y'all so prolific? And we would be like, because we waste an hour a day just being friends and loving each other, which is not a waste at all. Thank you. Yeah, it's great. Um, we had an hour-long conversation about what we were going to talk about. <laughs> that was confusing. I was like, why didn't we just record this? <laughs> we did, though. So that's B-roll. We did record it because we were testing out Anchor. So technically, we do. We ha- we are building a back catalog if we just call through Anchor every time we talk. Um, so so note to friends, we have B-roll. Uh, if you would like to subscribe to the B-roll, please no. You like going to add to your, to your imaginary Patreon. Hey, look, you know I am a, a real fan of getting paid for things. Like, uh, Annette's tarot cards have been turning up money cards. So that means uh, our Patreon is coming through soon. Please know. Yeah, and then we're going to have to come up with, like, extra material. But, um... Initially, we planned um, two weeks ago when we were planning the second episode, we were thinking of, because you left an open question about um, like gender expression or beauty in, in, in boys and stuff. And, but in the interim, a couple of things happened. And what brought it to the forefront for me was like being witness to a particularly uh, terrible uh, Facebook exchange about um, a brown kid going to school for the first time and having a negative interaction with a peer and how everybody kind of like, and by everybody, I mean all the white folks, um, rushed to the defense of this other kid who visited this, this you know, assault on, on this kid, like, you know, asking for sympathy, empathy, whatever, whatever the laundry list of reasons why, excuses why this would have happened and, and kind of like trying to tell, the, the, the post in question was posted by this kid's mom who was obviously upset and was like trying to process her feelings and they were basically telling her that she shouldn't be upset and you should feel bad for the other kid for, for basically assaulting your child because, ah, question mark. And so that had been, that's kind of been like in the back of my head thinking about um, in terms of processing that, cause you know I jumped in. Because uh-huh. I've been, I've typically made it a practice to like mind my business. I can pull down on like most of my mom groups and stuff. And I don't usually address people when they're being willfully obtuse, but I felt the need because this was so out of pocket. Um, so I was thinking about that in terms of processing um, my past experiences as a black kid in school in a predominantly white school. This is not that kid's situation, but I was just thinking that's my framework. And um, thinking of my experiences in putting my own. Um, kid in school because uh ali is four and so he's able to start preschool he's supposed to be in kindergarten next year and so i pulled him out of his daycare that he had been in since he was like 18 months old and um we had hiccups in his transition to because initially he was going to a predominantly white school Uh and we ran into similar issues and so then i was thinking like oh so i mean I knew it wasn't, well, because I've been in his shoes, I've been a black kid in school. So I knew, I knew that it wasn't like beyond the realm of possibility. I just didn't realize that it was, these experiences were super common. Um, Uh And then I know that you and Miss Ella, like she's, she's five. So, right? Five. Yes, she's five. Just started kindergarten. And, um, you know, me having grown up and, you know, having my formative ex- educational experiences in the predominantly black communities um, and schools, 
Um, I, you know, I've always had a uh, kind of. I, I was lucky enough to have this 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 counter experience where uh, my viewpoint. Um, such as it may have been, you know, relative to adults, because, you know, children, black, little black kids can have actual opinions um, when it comes to, you know, the difference between their, their opinion and adults. But nevertheless, like, my opinion was valued and uh, treated as an, an actual uh, of importance because we were, our principals were black, our, you know, our uh, teachers were black. I, I, had, I had a black experience. And so, um, and it wasn't until I was in uh, junior high that I started to be in uh, uh, environments where it was, uh, I guess, racial mixing or, or whatever, where it was interesting. Um, and so, like, I took that experience of, well, my opinion has, uh, when it comes to me and my peers, has as much validity as the next person and probably a, a haughtiness or uh, some people would, you know, say sadity or uppity um, belief in my, my own viewpoint into these other environments and, and continue to fight for it. Uh, having, you know, sometimes I, I had teachers that penalized me for my belief in my own um, equality, um, but for the and but for the most part, uh, and it was usually white women, I'm just going to go there and say that, um, but it was, um, and so I went about that same way of nurturing Ella's educational experience of living in a predominantly white community. Um, and it's, and, and even when we've been in uh, communities where we, you know, our, her last, our, um, a predominantly person of color uh, environment, but where there were, white kids in the environment, um, seeing how their experiences or their uh, reactions were prioritized um, above her needs uh, as a girl, as a young woman or a, a, a young girl or a um, person of color. And I think that in the hierarchy, she was, uh, you know, considered a, a lesser than, um, uh, I think, and so learning to lobby um, and to fight for the, those type of equality um, in that environment kind of put me off on the, you know, started me off on the right foot for now where we are in the, uh, the, uh, a very minority situation. Um, and so, but it, it's, it's been interesting because, you know, you think um, even with, you know, uh, superficially, um, you, you encounter people and, and you, you, they say all the right things and they do all the right things, but um, their internal drivers, um, when it comes down to the day-to-day, -day, they fall back on their implicit biases and their, their operating mechanisms. You know, it's like, okay, this is... We lost you for a second there. It might be where you're driving through. Actually, I can't hear you. There you go. Uh, what is it as for them as an adult? Hey, and hey, it's, uh, it's interesting. Okay. Um, can you hear me? 
Yeah, I can. It's just you cut, kind of cutting in and out every so often. It might be the reception around there. Cause I'm All right. Get that. So that means I need to stop then and um, and then sit here, which is fine. Um, you don't have so to. Yeah. Oh my God! Just go home. <laughs> I am not just going home. Like I refuse. Like we have had this discussion. Like if I come home and I am still on the phone with Annette, Mike is like, "Are you? Is is she your like spouse on the other end? Like, yeah, tell me something." Spouse. Work spouse. Yeah, I know. I know, right? We're basically each other's work spouses, more or less. This is true. Um, right, and we don't even work together. <laughs> but we're at work often together. So go back to the last point that you were making, and like like a minute ago, repeat what you said. Yeah. So it's it's um it's been really interesting to see how in any environment that the default setting for individuals is really to honor the feelings and emotions of the white person in the room um, above that of everyone else, um, and that that's that's been an interesting fight to be a part of as a parent. Um, to say, no, what we need to take as what, what you guys are considering right now has a, uh, you know, subconscious or unconscious uh, subtext that you are enforcing and passing down on to a whole new generation of kids, and I'm not here for it. And so how consciously thinking on my end, how can I continue to disrupt that experience so that Ella can have the best experience possible is, is, uh, it's, it's work. It's a lot of work. Mm. No, it's something that you always have to be, you know, thinking about and approaching, approaching your interactions and your observations with a level of care that somebody else doesn't necessarily need to have. To me, it's very similar to, you know, if this is not a framework in terms of race that you're familiar with, envision your, if you are a, uh, feminine presenting person in the world, envision what your interactions with masculine presenting people are like. You probably need to exert a level of care that masculine presenting folks don't think about um, in their interaction, their day-to-day interactions or the types of, of uh, fears you might have about being in public as, a, as somebody who's femme or whatever. Um, it's similar to that. Like you can never be fully divorced from that framework, and I'm sure like people will tell you that you're overreacting and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But the but the reality is that care or that concern or those fears are born of real concern, and also because we love to victim blame, don't we? Um, and every mm-hmm. time every time you see something racist that happened at a school, what's the first thing you see? Especially when it's published on like Blavity or something like that. You like see people basically saying, "Well, I would have brought, I would have snatched my kid out. How did parents not notice? Blah blah blah." And so it's this constant push pull of like, "When do I step in? How much, bu- how much bullshit do I let accumulate before I step in and call this racist?" So is what's what's your tolerance level like? Because if you it's low, and you're like, mm, "That smells weird. That looks funny. I'm just going to step in now." People are like, "Oh, you're being hyper vigilant." that's too much but if you let things ride to the point where they're cutting your kids hair or whatever then mm-hmm. everybody's then everybody's mad at you for not stepping up earlier so i mean there's no correct way to be vigilant about um you know race and racialized interactions or in school mm-hmm. like 
you damned if you do, damned if you don't. The, re- the reality of the situation is it starts extremely early. Um, my, my, my personally, my earliest memory of um, getting differentialized or racialized treatment in school, I went to a Catholic school and there were only um, two black people. It was me and, the other, and another girl. Um, and I was in third grade and it was a standardized test. The, the, um, and it's like this aptitude test that they don't give anymore. California aptitude test, CAT or something like that. I, I remember that test. Yeah. Yeah. That's a mm-hmm. yeah. I, yeah. And I, we took it every year. And I remember I finished the uh, verbal section, like verbal language arts section or whatever. And it was like a solid probably 30 minutes before anybody else was done. And um, this, this teacher um, looked me dead ass in the face and told me that I couldn't be done. And at that point, um, because I was in third grade, I had taken it every year at that point. And every year I had, um, I scored within the like 99th percentile or whatever, every time. So that, like, I I didn't have that aware, because again, I was raised by um, civil rights slash Cosby show blacks. So it's a very particular space where we were not, like, they were not raised by, um, Middle class people. They, none of their family had ever attended college, or whatever. Um, they graduate. They had a high school education. They had. They were, you know, professionals, and they had always told me that racism was over, and all I had to do was work hard. And so, and we've discussed this in many other contexts about seeking white adjacency. And so that meant when they moved on the block, they were the only black people who lived on that block. Um, so seeking out those markers yeah. of, of success and wealth to the extent that you could being essentially middle class. So it's not like we went on, you know, annual vacations or had, you know, multiple cars or things like that. But the, the, the achievable indicators of, of wealth for them were being white adjacent, being able to send your kid, not having to send your kid to public school, being able to send them to a private school because at the mm-hmm. time charters didn't exist. Um, so yeah. to send, send your kid to a quote unquote good school meant paying to send them to Catholic school. So I had no framework. I had no racial awareness per se. Um, so I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense <laughs> about her, her reaction to me. Cause I was like, of course I'm done. Like, duh, I can, I can read and yeah. I can tell you what it said. Like what? Um, so that was weird. But that's the first thing that I yeah. ever remember um, for me. Anyway, and for Allie, it was like he was um, 15 months old, 15, 16 months old. And he was at the Montessori school. And um, they had, I guess they must not have changed his diaper or something. So at, at some point, he went to scratch his butt or something. And he, he had poop on his hand. And so he, like, smeared it on, like, the fence or whatever. And so it took three days to get this story. Because first thing I got was a, a note or something. And I reached out and wasn't able to connect with the administrator or whatever. So on the third day, I finally like have to take some time off to go up there because I'm, I'm like, I'm going to have to try and catch her while she's around. So then she, t- she tells me what, what happened and then asked me if this is something, that, th- is this a problem that he has at home? And I'm like, well, no, because I changed him timely. Are you asking if he has some sort of behavioral problem that I haven't previously disclosed? Because keep in mind, he had been at this school from six weeks to about a year old. 
And at that point, I transitioned him to a, to an in-home daycare. Um, so, yeah, no. I guess he would have been like short of short of a year. So somewhere in the nine-month nine range or something. Because I took him back to the Montessori school because I thought he was ready to do more things and that maybe he needed a different environment. So he goes. And first they had given me the runaround where they wouldn't um, put him into the class that he should be in because he didn't have enough enrollment which I was like, this is 100% bullshit because if he's ready to do higher level stuff and you're not giving him access to that, I don't know what I'm paying for. So that was also the, the additional framework. Um, and I kept getting told by his teachers and by the administrator that it's going to come soon. We're going to move him up soon. Never happened. So then she steps to me over the fact that her staff didn't change him appropriately in a, in a timely fashion. And he either intentionally or unintentionally reacted to that and then she approaches me essentially with the narrative that he's like playing with his poop mm -hmm. and, and that, that maybe he has some sort of problem that I have not disclosed because keeping in mind, he had originally been there for most of his childhood, left for two, three months, came back. And, and she thinks that I guess maybe he was, that he does this as a matter of course. So that was the first time somebody like stepped to me and assumed that like developmentally appropriate behavior is problematic and, and something that I'm trying to hide. And it, this would become like a, a theme of sorts for his early childhood because, and you'll remember I had this interaction with a speech language um, pathologist mm -hmm. where she, she did the same thing. Um, I, sidebar, I he, sidebar, he, was, he saw a speech language pathologist for an evaluation on his second birthday on the recommendation of one of his doctors because they just wanted to make sure they wanted to get a baseline on him and see how his jaw development was doing and all that jazz so this was not like a test to see if he needed speech therapy he had already not qualified for speech therapy um the county evaluated him he used to get physical therapy because he was a late walker um and they do a full evaluation pt ot and speech and he didn't qualify for speech therapy because he was within normal limits. And that evaluation had happened maybe two weeks before this one. Um, and so anyway, he doesn't know this lady, doesn't want to talk to her. He's two. It's literally his birthday. He's two. Um, and he's missing his nap to do this. So he didn't want to participate. And she decided that that meant that because he didn't recognize some of her turns of phrase or some of her colloquialisms that he didn't understand. And I, I had, right. And it was like the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. And the thing that really chapped my ass was the evaluation she was giving was intended for a three-year-old. Uh -huh. So I was like, is nobody going to fucking say anything about this? So I stepped to the doctor who sent me there and I said, here's what we're going to do. You're going to have him retested by somebody else because I'm, I'm not understanding, A, why you're giving him a, a test that's not appropriate for his age, and B, why you're assuming that his skills are inadequate because he's not even participating enough for you to know that. And it was in nap time. I recall this distinctly because mm -hmm. we were talking before you went in to the doctor. It was nap time on his birthday. Right. It was nap time on his birthday. I had He had to um, leave school early to go to the – so I was, like, pissed. Um, because that's the sort of thing that goes in your record and it doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. So I was like, to be so cavalier about assigning labels to kids that are within normal limits is fucking ridiculous. And so I actually went home and I did um, my own testing with his 
verbal recognition with his uh, language skills. And I recorded that shit. And when they rescheduled it and gave me the same woman again, I was about to call her a bitch. Um, they gave me the same <laughs> woman again. And I played that shit in front of her. And you should have seen her mouth kind of like pucker up like a lemon. Like she couldn't stand my ass. And I'm like, yeah. Because this is her job. If you are a clinician and you are supposed to understand the various methods of testing, and, like, that was everything she did was negligence. And that could have been a negligence that, like you said, followed him for the rest of his life. And because she was an authority who recorded this, her perceptions would have colored every other person's interactions with him for the rest of his life. And this is the type of thing that really, really gets me. Because I'm like, if they are not making an assumption that your capabilities are below a, set, a, set, a normal range of, uh, of uh, activity or perception, then the, the, the other hand is they're assuming that you have a, that your brown or black child has a maturity level far exceeding the age group and that they should be able to conduct themselves in a way that is outside the range of normality, and thus they are responsible for other individuals' actions as well, like what happened with Ella with the little kid from her, her class a couple of months ago where they're doing engaging in imagination play and she's the queen of a castle and there are a bunch of knights and she says charge as imagination play. That was not an edict from her as a five-year-old to go out and pummel another kid, but because a boy, a little white boy, decided to take it upon himself to actually hit somebody where every other knight in this group uh, black, white, or otherwise, knew to stop, he decided to hit someone else. And so he got a timeout for hitting someone else. And the teacher's excuse when Ella came to me and said, well, I got a timeout too, and I asked why, because this person hit someone. She had nothing to do with that. She was confused about it. I was confused about it. And I, and I knew in that moment, and this is a teacher that we absolutely love, we absolutely adore. She, you know, I, I think she, she was diligent and conscientious but again implicit biases about what girls can do and and what little children of color can do or or their maturity levels or the, their culpability or responsibility towards other individuals and i was like no this won't be happening it just absolutely wouldn't especially because ella has this uh being the the only child of to, you know, we're kind of older individuals, and we, we in a lot of ways, treat her um, as a, you know, as a, an, a little person whose feelings are honored and respected and sought. So she she will take responsibility for things that she perhaps shouldn't, yeah. or she takes more responsibility for it. So I was like, no, we're not going to set this precedent that my daughter is responsible for the actions the violent actions of a man, like, or a little boy or a boy who will grow up to be a man, because that's the narrative that we, we teach boys, and this is why it does not end, because even well-meaning people are unconsciously uh, uh, influencing it and perpetuating it. And so I went and I had a, a talk with the teacher, and I was like, look, we, I, I, I like you. Um, and, again, this goes back to, having to approach people in a way that they don't feel threatened, um, but they still take you seriously. You know, I, I like you. My daughter likes you. What you did hurt her. What you did upset me. This is what you unconsciously did. This is what you reinforced. 
this is what you are perpetuating, and I think that needs some additional review of what how you are reacting to things because there is no way, and she owned up to it, that she gave Ella a timeout because a little boy hit another little boy. And it, it sounds absurd to even repeat. And I was just like, no, we this won't be happening when what she did say the teacher um because she heard me and she was very quiet and she was very and she said you are right i she realized it upset because they mentioned it to me and i was like because ella values you as a person of respect so without even knowing so that's why it's important that we're careful you as an educator or a leader or influencer an authority figure that said that she wanted, she was going to go back and review her days before. So I could go to continue to reinforce to the teachers and in contact with them. Or what part of your journey is passionate you before you because be the fight we have every day and I can't I, I you know we talk All right. Hello. Hello. So you were talking about that situation with Ella. You step in regarding in-class punishment for a thing she didn't do because the teacher implicitly believed that Ella bore responsibility over the actions of some other person. Um, and, And I think you know, to your point, it's very interesting. Because, I mean, being a teacher, and I don't know that life, um, I didn't take that path, I understand how much of of school discipline is depending on, like, what you're looking at and what your implicit belief about that action is and then what action that you take. And so, you know, calling somebody on the carpet, so to speak, or calling them in to assess what they've done in in light of its impact is really interesting. And I'm glad that your, um, that Ellis teacher was receptive to it. I can imagine there's a lot of folks who are in the teaching profession who are not necessarily in the market for that kind of feedback because they feel like the parents don't understand, like I'm doing the best I can. I have so many kids and so little time. Like I completely understand that and get that, but it's a lot like policing in that way. It's like, what are you looking for? What you see is controlled by what you're looking for. What you're looking for is controlled by your implicit bias. Yeah, so does absolutely. That mean, I mean, does that mean that you're a bad person? Not necessarily, but if you're doing things that are hurting people and you don't care enough to stop, I think that makes you a bad person. Absolutely. And so I was, I, you know, I was thrilled when she said, I'm going to go back and review this. Uh, I'm, she apologized. She apologized to Ella. She uh, said, I'm going to check myself for in future incidents so that it doesn't happen again. 
Um, and and it was it was something that you know the the recognition that every person won't have the time, the opportunity, the privilege, or the language to have that conversation with mm. a person of authority and impact or affect change um, it is like I'm on guard. You know, I was raised by a village, and and it was you know being raised in a black. You were raised in Wakanda, basically. Yeah, basically, basically, I'm like, I was raised in a black predominant space that was, you know, if they weren't, they were lower to, you know, lower middle class to middle class. Had a, you know, I got walked to school by the big kids on my block. You know, the, you know, I had a, a whole block of aunties and uncles and people who would come down to the house and, and it, you know, our, our, um, you know, older men would come to the block club uh, events and, you know, would talk to us about, like, what was going on in this election. You know, I was born in a time where we had a black mayor in Chicago. We haven't had one since. Um, we all swear he was poisoned, um, but he had a heart attack. The man had a heart attack, but no one wants to admit it. We all swear it's a conspiracy, and he was poisoned by the white people. So, <laughs> so like, I... I like I, I am trying to continue that same legacy and an environment where we are now. The you know, like she is part of the minority. Like she is a fair-skinned biracial black girl, and she's still one of the darkest people in the room, which is just a, a, a funny turn of event when we're coming from Chicago, where. Something's weird with my audio where you're where you're cutting out a lot, like very um like if audio could be pixelated. Weird. And I am not moving at all. So Yeah, and I'm not sure if it's just what I'm hearing or if that's what's being recorded. Huh. Let me see if there is a difference when I do this. Interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to see. Let's see, mic volume. Or I wonder if this is one of those things I'm going to have to learn to just sit in one spot, like my office. Uh, um, I mean, it could be variations in, in the signal. I noticed that the way that Anchor records is different. Like, we're able to actually talk over each other as opposed to hearing that audio switch back and forth the way it did with um, the conference line. Like, where whoever is talking, everybody else is, like, kind of, half muted like it doesn't yeah. allow you to talk over so it might just be the way that this one records where it's more sensitive to signal and I could be totally talking out of my ass I don't know anything about audio and I don't know anything about <laughs> apps it just sounded Look, really good it sounded it. really great you sounded like you were on top of it I, I did right. it just two moments of that kind of pixeling um thing that you 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 mentioned I was like oh, okay I'm getting it um wow um, but I do think what's interesting, because you brought up a point about when parents, you know, as a, a black parent, you're always um, kind of questioning yourself and policing your behavior to, to make sure that your um, your messaging will be received in the best way possible, and you're asking yourself, am I being hypervigilant or am I being too lax? And I think what's really, um, you know, kind of, the, on both sides of that dichotomy, there are people who 
are going to they're basically just wait for a moment for something to occur so that it can look back and say, well, this happened because mm. you didn't do this at the right moment. Um, and so it does. It, it I think there's a, a a huge level of anxiety that I did not have before having uh, kids because it's, I'm not just managing for my own interactions, which I can, I'm present for every second of the day, but now you're managing for the interactions that your children will have and hoping that the influence that you've built in whatever way, social capital, uh, you know, financial, um, academic, linguistic, whatever, will somehow suffice to cover and protect your child when you're not in the room yeah and I mean I developed a whole host of like coping mechanisms and things and I noticed many of them are centered on trying to demonstrate institutional power um, mm-hmm. specifically like you know in, in, in an average like day-to-day situation if somebody asks me what I do I don't necessarily say that I'm an attorney but when I'm being injured if if, when I'm filling out paperwork for school I do and the first time that I go to like meet a teacher or whatever like I have my face done I might be wearing a dress from work Um, I'm wearing my good shoes and shit Um, because I feel like or at least my experiences have been if I go in and I look like oh average mom is average Mm -hmm. they take that as like a signifier of my you know class of my wealth and I'm not saying that those things are right um but I am saying like to the extent that I am able to leverage signifiers I do um because I feel like people don't I don't I don't I just I feel like as like as a black woman I occupy a space in society where I'm not automatically respected I'm not automatically taken seriously um, I've been told to my face that I don't look like an attorney. I don't know what that means, but I also know the hell exa- does that mean? I also I also know exactly what that means. Um, and mm-hmm. so, in many ways, to to an earlier point, like yeah, you have to be like uppity and sadity and act carry yourself with an air of like, don't you know who I am? Because people will treat you like shit because they assume that you're nothing. Um, yeah. Yes, they will. And look, I, I too, I mean, you know, someone just threw it into stark relief earlier today, like you mentioned in one of those, like, you know, there are privileges I, we don't, I don't get to have, right? I can't, I'm, I'm not white. That, that is the highest of the ranking of the privileges. Um, but I do have privilege. Um, I certainly, you know, after I bootstrapped my ass up into a different class, I, I certainly do put on the signifiers of, uh, this new class in order to be taken seriously uh, an entity in my community and purely because I was like, I'm going to be a known entity in this community so people know that when my child walks in the room and she has this last name that she is a um, the that's a lot of energy to invest mm-hmm. And yeah. it's and 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 I recognize that like every person can't do that, and and it makes me sad that everybody every person can't do that. But then that's you know my ultimate goal is I'm going to figure out a way to influence other individuals so that they don't think of 
my child is like just one or the person that you have yet going to make sure I'm going to certainly make sure you don't mess with her. But if I, but if Angelique ever hears about this happening with any other brown or black child, she's going to be up at your door too. And so when that teacher said, I'm going to go back and look at how I do things and, and assess myself, how I can never do this, how I can not do this again, that that was like a, a moment for me of like, okay, there are many things in this life that I can't do, and there are some things that I can, and not all of it is fun. I'm doing it, you know, like, I am genuinely curious to see. I am genuinely curious to see if it records like as pixelated as I just heard. I oh, have yeah, I just know. heard a pixel too. Uh. Yeah, I. I mean, well, the thing of it is, in in fairness, is like I am. I I I have two windows, so I get all the bars. That doesn't mean that my calls never drop or anything. But I'm just saying, like, I get better reception than I might otherwise. But it has been cloudy and rainy all day, so that could be a direct influence on on the occurrences but to your point I you basically like when you're you know a black parent and your kid is going to school you essentially have to walk in there with big dick energy is the long and the short mm-hmm. of it like you have to act like don't you fucking know who I am don't you I will hold you accountable and all of that but to your previous point and my previous point like a lot of that is, is classifiers because in terms of the language yep. that I'm able to use, the fact that I don't have an accent anymore. Um, I used to have a really strong South Philly accent, but I don't anymore. Um, mm. Now I have like a newscaster style. <laughs> yes, you do. It's, yeah. it's regional. It's it's regional average American. Right, and I use, and I'm told that I use big words, and so. And I sometimes yeah. I'm doing that on purpose. Sometimes I'm not. Like that's just how I talk. But sometimes I. Because that's what I'm trained to do is use big words and shit. And so oftentimes I find find that that's like a body check for a lot of people that it's like, oh, I can't fuck with her because she knows English words. Uh, Look, just yesterday, I'll tell you this. So I was interviewing a person for my team on last Friday. And one of the jokes in the office um, amongst my my, uh, peers, like my... uh, the, the level of leadership that I exist in, which is kind of like just basically middle management, right? And um, the one of my peers always jokes that, Angelique, what are you saying? Because this is a lot of big words. And I'm like, I'll break it down for you. So in the, the meeting, we were, in, yeah, in the, no, in the interview we were having with a person, for a person who may join my team, you know, we, we're looking for, to, for it to be filled. And, and the person goes, Oh, so something you should know if you start here is that, Angelique, you're going to need a dictionary when she's talking to you. And I'm in a room. I'm the only, you know, black person in the room. And we all started laughing. And I was like, it's true. But I can't switch at home and on the phone with you. I'm talking with my, you know, with my mom, with my cousin. I talk completely differently. And Kat came to me one day, my coworker, and was like, do you talk like this at home with Mike? And I was like, no. <laughs> so 
I'm like, no, not at all. But I'm like, when I am in an academic office environment, this is what you're going to get. Like, this is, I'm like, this is, when we're, when we're chilling out on my back patio, though, you, you can holler at your girl. We'll talk about anything. I and I will. Well, I only code switch with black people at work. Like, see, this is the thing. When I'm like, I'm out the office. If I know you really well, you're going mm-hmm. to get Angelique in a black experience because that is my default <laughs> setting. That's the way I was raised. So if I'm having a conversation with you outside the office, sometimes in the office, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, did you see that? Did you like if we're off the the, the office grounds? We're out at lunch. I, I might start a conversation like, "Did you see that bullshit?" Like, and like, and I, yeah. I'm taking it in. But that's because that that was I was raised in a setting where it wasn't considered uh, a measure of your intelligence. You know, like being mm. in an all black community, it wasn't a measure of your intelligence to speak AAVE. Like. It was like, oh, that's what you do. Like that—that—that mm-hmm. that, that was literally. It's like code switching was the thing you do because you didn't even want people to know you like that. Like, and that's basically how we said. I don't want them to know me like that. Where they come from? Like, I don't even—I yeah. don't even fuck with them like that. That was so. If you get me and Angelique all academic, professional all day, every day, that means we're probably not really friends. So, mm-hmm. which is just because it's. You know, it, it, it again, that's, I think that's it's a, a level of intimacy. Well, I also feel like it's a level of intimacy. It's it's like it's a different language. And if I feel like that person doesn't speak that, I'm not going to speak it to them. Mm-hmm. Point. Like, I, so I, let me amend. So black and spicy white. So to me, spicy white is like um, there's an there's an admin and she's Italian and she's like super duper Italian. Like her dad is an immigrant Italian. That yeah. to me is acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> that to me is spicy white. Because um, she that tans. When she tans, she's darker than my daughter. So yeah. I mean, that, that's spicy white. Um, and she's made comments to the effect of like, she, she was like, all of these people are like stepping to me um, with my tan or whatever and saying that I need to stop tanning. And it's like, oh, you thought I was regular white, but I'm not. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, Mediterranean and spicy like sorry about it um people like that I'm like oh you're you're cool I like you um I like you a lot um but like regular run-of-the-mill probably not probably not gonna slip into AAVE with them probably gonna just be like oh how are you doing how was the weekend how are the kids yeah no and I get that because well, and there's a level of protection in that too, because that's okay. that's saying you you know if you are being like being able to keep the authentic you close to the vest so that people can't judge it and consider and and discard it and, as right. unworthy, and, and, right? And factor it in their evaluation of you as a person. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. some things I do, you know, I keep mine and my, my own bit. And I mean, the thing is, the thing to be, fa- to be fair is that appearance-wise, like, my bitmoji is accurate. Like, I do. I have locks that go down to my waist. Like, I can't hide that 
I'm regular black color, so like Queen, you don't know, remember the Queen collection from CoverGirl, like mm-hmm. gold, like Golden Honey slash Nutmeg, like that, like mm-hmm. <laughs> like so I'm like regular black. I grew up around here, although people often ask because again, like my my accent doesn't come through as strongly anymore. But um, at the time when I lived in South Philly, South Philly wasn't black, so like it was still weird for me to have like that kind of like half valley girl accent when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so people would still ask me where I was from. Um, but I, I just walk around and I'm just like visibly black. I, I even have natural hair. Like I am visibly black. And so I feel that speaking the way that I do has only been considered an asset because it's disarming to yeah. people. Like, they, they feel like, Oh, she's like the rest of, because like, we all know, and I have a very, I have a very Anglo name, extreme, yeah. you know, so I, I have, yeah. you know, resume passing privilege too, until yeah. I show up and I'm not white. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but so, so, and understanding that like in the context of where somebody doesn't meet me first, where they meet my child first, um, you know, Ali is, is light skinned, but he's black. Um, but I've, found that you know if they only see Joe with him they're not sure if that means that I'm black or Latina or if yeah. Allie is adopted like they're never 100% sure but I noticed they never immediately jump to oh this child must have a black parent except black people black people can always clock him mm-hmm. they're always like oh your, your wife is black we do. yeah it's what we do it is literally like Mike says it. He'll be like, "I'll be out somewhere with Ella, and all the all the black women will triangulate towards me, like some, like grandmas, and be like, oh, your daughter is so adorable.' Um, and then basically start a line of nosy uh, auntie and grandma questioning, uh, where your wife at? Um, she black, blah blah blah. And I, well, and again, like the girls think, don't lie. No, they don't. And then look, I mean. I thought it was interesting when Ella was nonverbal, no one wanted to say she was my child. But then the moment, you know, she became mobile and verbal, there's something so obviously uh, parental and, you know, like about our. I think so too, even though. She's literally like half and half, half Mike's face, half your face. Like if you look at a picture of y'all together, it's like, oh, that makes sense. Yes. (laughs) It's splicing. It's basically splicing. So I don't know why people are always attributing more of her, like him, to her. And I'm like, it's because she's lighter than you. And people people look to skin tone as like indicative of who they more look like. When reality is like it's it's a it's a mix. I mean, my kids have a like Ali is maybe two three shades lighter than me. Eva is like two shades lighter than him, but I have people in my family who fit, who are, you know, have two black parents and look mm-hmm. like them skin tone wise. And to your point, yeah, when they were younger and lighter, people were never certain if they, they never assumed that they were my kids. They always assumed that I was just like watching somebody's light skin baby. Yeah, I definitely was asked. Uh, I, I, the only people at the, the uh, park who would hang with me and Ella when we would go and play when I was still in Chicago, were the the nannies who all just happened to be brown-skinned people. Mm-hmm. So, oh, and the older moms. That was another thing. Like, the young moms, the young white mamas didn't want shit to do with me. 
But um, and, and our, which was funny because I'm like, you moved into a community that is predominantly Latino and brown skinned, and then you take your kids to the park and act like y'all could only hang with each other. So nice way to uh, subconsciously reinforce to your children division. Oh, we could live in the same neighborhood, but we can't yeah. actually hang out. And so I ended up being friends with all the older white women and the nannies because I'm like, I guess this is this is this will be my group of people, which is fine because I like them better anyway. <laughs> I'm like, oh, to the well. But yeah, it's they, it's, yeah. they, they do. They, I, I find that it's really interesting to me because, like, you know, mixed race people have existed as long as colonialism has, and people are so mm-hmm. weird about. The idea that like you can have a kid and they could be darker than you or they could be lighter than you or they could be the same as you. Mm-hmm. It's the same. Eva is actually lighter than Joe. Yeah, I, I believe it. Because I she doesn't have you. she doesn't have that um reddish pinkish undertone and he does. She's got a yellow undertone, which is the other where I'm doing like a sato side voice where I'm like, that's how you can tell that she's half black because she's got a yellow undertone like that. Mm-hmm. Like, um but yeah, when you hold them up to each other, like she's lighter. But nobody ever questions his parentage of, of her on the basis that she's lighter. But they question me on the basis that she's lighter than me. And I'm like, she has my face. <laughs> like she yeah. couldn't be any more me unless I we were the same skin tone. But I know. So that that was like one of our. I feel like that was one of our first interactions uh, um, on that message board where we were talking about you know, having a mixed race child and having people question yep. what your relationship to them is, which I think is interesting. And then, the, the, so it's grow- an outgrowth of that is like now that they're mobile and they walk and talk and whatever. Because um, my kids claim me. I can't go nowhere. Yep. And as soon as I walk in, they just beeline. And even Eva does like, that's mommy. This is mommy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But it's it's funny watching interactions because like if they because there are cases where somebody is introduced to my kids before they're introduced to me like on their first day of school like maybe I I didn't meet their teachers on that very first day of school so when I walk when I walked in because I had dropped them off and I had to pick them up because um, Joe had jury duty and so when I walked in it didn't really register to the teacher who I was there for. Mm-hmm. Because there were a couple, I think there was like a, a little, uh, there was a little black boy, I guess, but like she had never seen me before, and and I was like, and Eva hadn't noticed me yet, and so I'm just gonna like stand in there and like Eva, 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 and she finally turned around, she's like, it's mommy, but like Girl. it's it's weird when people never assume that your kids are yours, and I'm like, well, who else would she be? I don't. <laughs> Girl, yes, I'm like. I, I just think it's funny because it's so apparent now. Like, kids will, like, kids I don't even know. I will walk up, and they will be like, Ella, your mom is here. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and and it's fun, but it's so demonstrably different than, you know, three years ago when I remember I'd walk in the room and somebody would be like, I remember I just kept getting assigned to her friend. Like, they would be like, so-and-so, your mom, and I'm like, no, I'm here for this one. Like, and that was that was a little Puerto, half Puerto Rican, half black child. And I'm like, no, the other one, the, the black and white one. That that one, that one's mine. Oh, speaking but of black he and I white. had the same hair, so I guess it was like they just looked at our heads and said, that seemed about right. I don't know. 
speaking of black and white, I was thinking of the uh, optics of, I was on that free to be kids website and I love like buying stuff from there, but there was mm-hmm. one and it was, it has a zebra on it and it's like black and white and rad all over. And I'm like, man, I can't buy that shirt at all for those no. kids. Like, no, no, no. I, and then I thought I was like, I wonder if anybody thought about what that would be like for biracial black and white kids. Like, do y'all think they just don't exist or what? Yeah, uh, cause no, that's the thing. They're constantly like that's uncomfortable. trying to make assumptions. Like, I think there's a, you know they, they try to categorize you. Oh well, if you're this light, then you should be aligned well, with white folks in, and if you were well, this dark you should be black in fairness i do know like based on the statistics me and joe and you and mike are the statistically least likely mixed Pairing, race couple yeah. this is true this is true so right. to a certain extent i can kind of understand but like people don't typically internalize like some people don't no, typically they internalize don't statistical analysis in terms of identifying stuff like so I think it's funny and I don't know if you've ever experienced this but being out in public and this is before we had kids being out in public with Joe even if we like you would basically he would basically need to hold my hand for people to assume that we were together like we could be having a conversation we could be like doing the thing that married couples do which is arguing in the supermarket or whatever and then you go to check out and people will try and cut in between you because they assume that you're not together. And it was like the weirdest thing because I was like, but we are obviously interacting in a way that indicates that we are intimate and familiar with each other. Same thing when you go to a, we would go to a restaurant and they, we walk in together and they ask if we want to sit at the same table. I'm like, where the fuck? Annette, just recently I had people, Mike and I went to lunch and somebody asked if we were, both of us are wearing wedding rings, okay? Yeah. Maybe they, they literally asked if we wanted one or two checks, okay? I, when Mike and I had Ella, we were literally, and that, so that was the, the two checks person was a white person. Then when Mike and I had Ella and we were at Costco, and, this, and I'm trotting out this example because I think it just, it is so indicative of how invisible or how people try to reassign black women into a domestic role. Oh, Mike oh, and yeah. I are at Costco. I have I am holding Ella's stroller handles. He is standing next to me. We have put food on the conveyor belt. There is white lady in front of us and there is a black woman cashier. The black woman cashier literally turned to the white woman and asked if Ella was hers. <laughs> I guess I was just there to hold the stroller. I was the domestic that had been brought out that day to help manage the Costco purchases. I'm like, if y'all don't get, and I'm like, Jesus, is this what the setup is going to be for the rest of life? And Ellie got a pigment in, thank goodness. Uh, Like, we've gotten older, verbal. People have learned basically to, to... pay better attention, but I think it's really interesting with Mike and I, if Ella is not with us, we are, like, Ella is the thing that makes us a quote-unquote family for outsiders. Mm. They're like, okay, they're married, they have a kid. If he and I are just together, somebody is going to ask, I don't know if it's the age difference, I don't know if it's the racial difference, whatever. It could be both. Someone 
wanted to ask if we're on the same check. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I think that's that's been, that's pretty much been yeah. my experience. They never kind of like, even though you can look at those kids and see that they're Joes, like they, I don't know. It's just like, does not compute. Can't make sense of it. I'm just going to ask a dumb question. Like, it's usually what happens. And I don't even think it's a matter of internalizing the statistics about the least likely yeah. pairing. What it is, is that because in the hierarchy, the white man is at the top of the hierarchy for, for perception. And the black woman is at the bottom of the, of the hierarchy for what is desirable or um, uh, attractive. Um, uh, and so there is a question, always a question mark, of how this could have right. happened, that people right. are constantly trying to assess in their brain why would the most desirable person in the hierarchy want to be with the pers- the least desirable person in the hierarchy? That is I mean, what does not compute. I mean, yeah. and there's nothing that you've said that's not true. Um, because really, what benefit is it? I mean, have you ever, when you see people acting like a couple and they're, they're together, you just assume they're a couple. That's what most people would do. And you wouldn't think to comment on it, especially with regard to like somebody who has children, like the the logical leaps required to get to the point where, oh, they're, this white couple is shopping together and they have a mixed race child and a black nanny. So many leaps, (laughs) But 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 that made more sense than this white guy has a black spouse. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so I think, you know, that whole that whole experience with like people's presumptions and whatnot, it really like it's hard to separate the educational experience from that because mm-hmm. you know all of that stuff comes with it and and in terms of like you wonder do they treat my kid different when they see that they have um, you know a black parent because maybe it's not immediately visually obvious um, mm-hmm. at the jump. Um, it's a strange place to be because it's funny that I always, you know, Ali is, is light skinned, so he gets, you know, that light skin privilege. And there's a lot of, you know, we've talked about it before about the whole like Drake level privilege mm-hmm. where you're, you know, you're considered cuter and, and softer because you're lighter skinned. But at the same time, people didn't hesitate to apply the stereotypes they have about black boys to him mm-hmm. either. And so walking that line of knowing that, you know, in some cases he will get favoritism on the basis of being light or ex- quote unquote acceptable black. And then in other cases, he's going to get smacked with the black boys are like this, black men do this. That's got to be a mind fuck. Cause I've never, mm-hmm. I've never been, you know, light skinned black. And I can't speak to that experience. And we had this conversation before um, many moons ago about how you can prepare your child for an experience that you've never had. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it's like to be like, I don't know nothing yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. That's a question, too. Right. 
for us to explore. Yeah, and another one. Yeah. Or to be like fetishized and simultaneously like you can you're regular black depending on the situation, but like special black in other situations and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I and I noticed there's been more and more of a conversation about that with like um Amanda Sandberg and um mm-hmm. oh gosh, who's the other one? They were talking about uh, Yes. Um, and sort of like speaking up about like we get additional privileges and stuff and consciously setting some of those aside like let me sit down Wakanda doesn't need me to be there Uh that kind of thing and so I think it's going to be interesting for them because at least the dialogue is happening and I'm like I literally have nothing to contribute to this because I don't know anything about being light skinned Uh and I don't know nothing about being dark skinned I'm like literally in the middle of the So I don't, I'm like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just here. I don't know, man. <laughs> I got nothing to add. Um, and I can't prepare you in any way, shape or form for how people might treat you differently um, because you can't experience the world in, in two different ways. Like you can't, he can't, you know, my kids can't experience what it's like to be my skin tone and light skin. Like they don't get to do both. They only get to do one. And so, and I think we've had, this, I think we t- talked, about this before, wondering if their uh, understanding or awareness of race is going to be different because they're light, and the answer is probably. Um, but beyond that, having no way, no, no way to know how to prepare them essentially for like that one time where maybe you get slapped across the face with some racism, like, and you've never seen it before because normally you're acceptable black, and so now suddenly you're in a situation where you're not. What's up? Like, I don't know. Mm, yeah. Um, and, and to the reason why I was asking like how old Ella is is because like I've heard Ella talk since she was like three, and she always reads to me like somebody who's two years older. Yeah. <laughs> the way that True. she, the way that she, um, the language that she uses and the way she articulates herself, I'm never quite sure. I'm like, is she only five? I know, and that's that's my concern and my question because it's like we want to prepare her for a world in which uh, she will be expected to outperform the norm, the average, and where it will ex- the world will expect her to be more mature than she should be, while still protecting her from the necessity to be more mature than she should be. I'm like I want to I want her to be a child for as long as every other child gets to be a child and but it pisses me off that I have to prepare for that and then it it, it you know I'm proud that she is you know such a you know leader and has has figured these things out for herself and but I'm like she is 5 my God, she's five. Right. Yeah, I don't think she she needs to be anybody's Oprah. And I think people, I think teachers and students both at her previous school leveraged her because she's a she's got a level of emotional maturity. She has a she has a, a, a advanced ability to express herself, to name uh-huh. and identify name and identify her emotions. So she's going to read as more mature because most kids her age can't tell you. Yeah. that they're dissatisfied about something they're just tantruming so she has you know she's at a more advanced level of being able to express herself and people you know find 
they're attracted the other kids are attracted to that because she can like translate for them and she can mediate disputes for them and the teachers like her because she can do that for them and that's one less thing that they have to do and all of that Mm -hmm. is like fine until you hit the point where they make the mistake of thinking that she's more mature than she is and again like stigmatizing or punishing age-appropriate behavior so you're damned if you do damned if you don't because to be completely fair raising your kids with uh the expectation that they're able to tell you how they feel and that that will be, you know, accepted and received. That's like more of a new agey modern style of, of yep. parenting that we were not raised with. Nobody gave oh, no. I, what I had to say. Oh no, nobody cared about show articulation. Like no. no. Um, and so in, in some ways it's like, you know, you wonder if, you know, am I setting them up to be successful in the world if I give them these tools and skills that typically are considered quote unquote like like white people shit? You know, the joke about them being able to have a tantrum in public or being able to do this and do that. And I've made posts about Allie's behavior or more misbehaviors or age appropriate shit that was like really um and got comments from from black people to the effect of, Well, I wouldn't let them do that. Well, I would have stopped that shit. I, I would I would hit them. Um, so like, Mm. you know, if he's out there emoting, which he's allowed to do because he's a person with feelings and he's out there emoting because I told him that it's okay. And the rest of the world has these expectations for black kids that they don't do that. Have I fucked him over (laughs) is a question that I often ask myself because I've never raised my hand to him because I was like, that doesn't even work. Oh, like it doesn't even it didn't work on me um and so I it, it just never entered the realm of possibility of a thing that I would do but then I also wonder like that cultural touch point people are going to expect him to behave a particular way because he he reads as, as black or at least he does after they see me so you know the fact that he likes to run off at the mouth and nobody ever stops him because he's a person I'm like, is he going to be in more trouble in a school environment because he doesn't know those expectations? Like, he's just, I treat him like he's 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 just a child, like he's any child. As he should be treated. As, as, just, you, as you do. But I mm-hmm. I do think about that sometimes and, and, and wonder um, how that might end up playing out for him and if I will have to run any sort of additional defense. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I don't have the answer to that. I don't know. But I'm not going to start beating his ass either. You know, just for the sake of no, to keep you safe. <laughs> Some slave mentality shit. I'm going to beat you to keep is. you safe. No, thanks. I'm like, I still don't get that. I'm like, my child is the gift that I had always been been hoping for. I refuse. I don't abuse gifts. Sorry. Nope. Well, I, I think, you know, to drastically and dramatically shorten it, it was a survival mechanism. Like, you have to teach... You had to teach them what you can and cannot do because your life literally hinges on that, is playing the game by the rules. But if we are supposed to be, you know, I thought I thought the Cosby show and the Obama presidency fixed everything, right? Like we're post-breakable now, huh? Um, that we shouldn't right. have to, we shouldn't have to drill those societal expectations and roles into our kids, but... The reality is, like, 
you put them in the school system, they're going to expect that they don't talk out of turn and shit like that. And so I'm like, well, how, I don't know how to prepare them for that because I let them talk whenever, <laughs> you know? Well, you I don't know. Really I know that Ella knows how to lobby for herself and tell people when they stepping out of pocket, even if they're a teacher, because <laughs> she knows. And look, we told her. We said if the teacher ever say, uh, "Do I need to call your parents to tell them?" Yes, because why? <laughs> like, there's a person in this world who can take over yours. Everybody want to pull the. That was definitely like a, a, a touch point in my interactions with um, Allie's. This app kicked me out three times, but it's fine. I'm just happy <laughs> that it was you and not me because usually my phone drops. So it's I'm true. like, I'm enjoying this uh, this this difference in the uh, and issues. The distortion was on your side. side. The call dropping is it on mine. Not- I just want the record to show. Um, <laughs> So what I was thinking, what I was thinking is like I thought it was interesting, like you were the the to the last uh, point, which was that you know, you're ride or die for for Ella, and she knows that, and I've always felt like that was important to communicate to my kids because I mean obviously like it, you know I don't want them to, I don't want my kids to lie to me, and I don't think they're always telling the hundred percent truth, but I know that they don't maliciously make things up, and I'm not going to believe mm-hmm. that about them, and I think it's important. Mm-hmm that schools know and understand that because when my son came home and he had a scratch on his face and he explained it as a child kicked him, but nobody saw anything, which, okay, maybe I I was like, for all I know, he was standing at the bottom of the slide. I don't know. He didn't have any additional detail other than the child that he says did it. And um, when I communicated with the person in charge, they attempted to convince me that maybe he was misremembering. And I was like, I'm not the fu- I'm not the fucking one to try that shit out. Uh-huh. I don't believe that my son. I'm not gonna say like, oh yeah, he always 100% tells accurately detailed truth, but he's not a liar. And he came home with mm-hmm. marks on his body, so that was when I knew I was like, oh, well, I'm just gonna be snatching him the fuck up out of here because yeah. not only do you not have an explanation for it, you're trying to turn me to to, to look to him as oh well, maybe he's just lying. He's four. And that's not to say I've never caught him in a lie, but they're always fantastic. They're always like completely ridiculous about nothing that matters. He's never lied to me about somebody putting their hands on him. And I got additional reports from him to the effect that it was still happening. So that's why I was upset. Mm -hmm. Um, And when it all came out, they admitted that the little boy that he had identified was a repeat offender. Right, that he's a problem. But they'd rather right, they'd rather uh, decide to undermine Allie's truth by saying maybe he misremembered than looking at their 
coddling of a repeat offender and to to a certain extent to a certain extent and i've seen this in other contexts my sister has um down syndrome and so that that school was housed at an integrated school for like mainstreaming and stuff for for kids with um intellectual disabilities behavioral behavioral problems and disabilities uh physical disabilities all that um mainstreaming is very good the problem is the implementation they did not give this kid the supports that he needed to be successful mm-hmm. and to keep him from putting his hands, feet, teeth, whatever on somebody else. The problem mm-hmm. is like you didn't give that kid what he needed. And so then he acts out, but then they try and act like, oh, well. And so to bring it to the thing that we were first talking about, when, the thing that I saw, which is, oh, a kid with a behavioral problem, we should empathize with him and we should feel sorry for him. And you shouldn't be mad that he hurt your child because it's not his fault. And I'm like, nobody's saying that you know let let's let's go beat this kid up what we're saying is the school didn't do their fucking job and that's why my kid got Mm. hurt and I feel the same way here it's like they're they're looking for me to use my sympathy over that situation to Mm -hmm. that that should cover the fact that they were negligent that they didn't do what they had to do to make sure that that didn't happen and so I'm like, I reject that wholeheartedly. And I mean, my sister is nonverbal. You, th- you don't think she lashes out? You don't think she acts a fool sometimes? Yes. But that doesn't, mm-hmm. make, that doesn't make it okay. It does not make it I okay. Know, and it, I think, it, too, like, when, pe- when people try to convert you to being an advocate for something that hurts someone else, it's kind of like, no, I get what you're saying, that this person's responsibility for their actions may be decreased because of x thing but that does not take away from the fact that my child was injured as a result of xyz your your negligence and and watching the room your inability to keep you know uh you know help an individual with certain um situations you know respond in the way that they need to respond but I'm like that in no way just because I feel sympathy for someone else in their situation does not take away like somehow right yeah the the, absolutely not and I'm like I I refuse it because there are all there will always be advocates for the other side so the devil doesn't need it right the devil doesn't need any more advocates to be frank and frankly truth be told I think a lot of it is rooted in like when you see a a black person saying I was hurt by a thing, the first thing they want you to do is rush to forgive and they can't wait to accept forgiveness Mm -hmm. on your behalf as if you're not entitled to feel a particular way about it. And I'm like, fuck that. I'm mad. I'm mad. And I'm right to be mad because my child was hurt. And the fact that they did not, they were not able to perceive that. And I stepped to them and I did give the, you know, I am concerned from as of from the perspective of like I have a, a black child here and he's telling me he doesn't want to go to school and he's coming home with marks on his body and I'm like and if he lashes out what are you going to do about it because I guarantee yeah if he lashed out and hit somebody kicked somebody they're not going to excuse it and the fact no. that they were not willing to hear that and take it and and examine themselves that was all that i really needed to assess that this is not the right place for him to be absolutely one of the things too and i think this is important for looking forward and i've been teaching ella this um and and i think it's especially like it 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 has a, a special import because she is 
you know, girl. Um, but I think even as a person of color, it's something that we need to learn and, and consciously fight against is that when Ella is being hurt by someone and, you know, a teacher or a parent or whoever forces an apology and usually you say, I accept your apology or in the, the way that we teach girls, mm. oh no, it's okay. Mm. And I have told her repeatedly, you don't have to accept an apology if you are still upset about it because you have to learn to process what happened to you in the time that feels right for you just because someone else gives an apology doesn't mean it has to be accepted Mm. and I've told her that anytime someone has ever done like if a person hurts you in some way and then they say I'm sorry you don't have to I absolutely don't want to hear you say it's okay because it's not okay if you are hurt by it and I've had conversations where you know parents I'll see them you know do this thing where it's like oh no you know, a, a kid will walk up to their kid and then the, because of something they've done and then the kid apologizes and then, and then they speak for the kid. Well, it's OK. It is not. First of all, you don't have the right to speak OK into existence for your child. And two, you don't get the right to speak over that person like that child, like that child will determine when it's OK. Fair. And so I'm. And, and I'm like, and I think, and yes, it's an uncomfortable situation when you say it's not okay or, well, I'll have to think about that or whatever, but people need to learn to live with discomfort. When you do something to me that I don't like, it's not my job to absolve you of guilt. That's, that's not what an apology is meant to be. And so you may not, your apology may not be accepted. And I, and it's, that's one thing I, I'm really trying to impress upon Ella and other people and it took me a long time to realize that in a whole lot of therapy because well I've been in therapy a long time in my life I it is not okay and someone hurts me you'll never hear me say in response it's okay I think that's more than fair and in the world that we currently reside in um, people are real really shaken by the idea that you can apologize for something and the person can refuse to accept it that that the apology mm-hmm. is not the end. The apology is not the resolution, and that people mm-hmm. are entitled to resolve things in their own time. And that and that, moreover, an apology is not necessarily it. That's not everything that you can do. Mm-hmm. You could do more than. That. So I do think it's interesting, especially where where you know society is with this conversation. I'm thinking specifically of the um, Louis C.K. thing and the Roxanne Gay article that just came out. Yes. And people are literally like, oh, well, he, oh, he said he was sorry. What else does he have to do? Like, we well, didn't fucking do anything. He didn't do anything yet. Woo. Saying I'm sorry yeah. is not doing anything, actually. That, that, that's nothing. That's not, that's not reparation. That's not you, reconciliation. That's not remediation. That's not anything. It's literally the least you could do is say it that is you're the sorry. Least. Like, I, I is... slap you across the face and then I say that I'm sorry. How does that mm-hmm. help you? that's like the start of the conversation that is like an apology is nothing but the start of a conversation like that is and I feel like many people could use therapy and and learn that shit because if you're you know if your spouse significant other whatever cheats on you and then they just say that they're sorry does that make it better do you feel significantly different now Mm -hmm. and 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 that feeling that compulsion that, that feeling like you should feel 
compelled to feel better now because I said that I was sorry. And then, oh, well, she's a bitch because she wouldn't accept my apology. The fuck? Yep. (laughs) You can't do that. And that reflexive saying, that reflexive, it's okay that we have taught people to say, especially girls or people of color and you know girls who are people of color it is not okay you it's it is not okay ever to be put in a situation where you are hurt and then people uh, are feel like you owe them right demand that that forgiveness and I do feel like um especially in the context of you know black people being so often victims of state sanctioned violence and and otherwise is that you're always supposed to turn the other cheek you're supposed to be you know you're supposed to forgive as if you're not allowed to not like you know if the person isn't willing to put any action behind their words maybe their apology isn't worth anything maybe you're entitled to feel some type of way about it and be like I don't want it like that's nice that you feel bad but I don't give a fuck is and is an acceptable response and so that's the other, so that was like kind of underlying like my frustration with seeing that conversation like that uh-huh. that I'm supposed to prioritize another person's problems over the the ones that they inflicted on me and I and I feel like it I feel uh-huh. like the conversation was racialized because I feel like if it was a white mom saying little Brandon got punched on the playground and I feel some I'm feeling upset about it nobody would tell her that she didn't have the right and so you know that that's sort of the environment in which we are rearing children with these weird like racialized expectations mm-hmm. of not only their behavior but ours and i don't accept that and i think you're doing a service for ella and i hope to similarly give to my kids the understanding that you're allowed to be people you don't have to be perfect mm-hmm. you don't have to be quiet um just to survive and so if mm-hmm. that means that i have to exercise the admitted privilege that I have to be able to snatch him out and put him someplace else yeah so be it I put his ass on the waiting list as soon as soon as we had that first interaction I put him back on the waiting list for the one that I had originally wanted him to go to mm-hmm. and when he came up again snatched him out he's gone yep and I remember and I was like cosign cosign because that's how I felt I feel like mm-hmm. it's never it's never worked out to my benefit to challenge my intuition on this because I felt like I get the feeling that they ain't about to do anything about this. And I was right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's happy. I'm happy. It costs me the same. I can't complain. It's fine. Um, but it's probably something that we'll run into again. It just so happens that the daycare or the preschool he's in now is predominantly black. The other one was predominantly white um we will see what the future holds but i am out of necessity going to be more wary when he's moving into all white spaces that's the way that i i was raised in predominantly white schools in a predominantly white neighborhood and so i feel like his experiences are more likely to mimic mine than to be significantly Mm -hmm. different and so that part i can speak on that part i can help with (laughs) And if you need tips, if <laughs> I got them, because um, every school I went to until high school, and then I went to a predominantly white college. So, well, if you ever want to know, uh, look, I got tips on how to raise <laughs> unapologetically. I know, and I need them. <laughs> blacker than a black. Mo- <laughs> 
uh, children who walk around singing things like uh, uh, my booty so big then <laughs> I can definitely do that yeah no I definitely need I definitely need those lessons the Wakanda in a box kit I need yeah. um, see we should just get together for a weekend and do a, 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 some, a baby boot camp do a symposium that that would be the business we're working on it we're going to do it it's going to happen one day so somebody like somebody willing to pay for airfare i will definitely be there um hey look patreon there we go (laughs) you're like i'm gonna start that patreon and put up all those uh because i mean we've got um recordings from like 2017 and 2016 i believe back when we recalled something else so maybe we should six <laughs> names ago. Oh my gosh. Well, you gotta reserve the names. Copyright is it's very true. important. Look, I'm still trying to figure out how we can get the one that we uh, I mean, look, come on now, serious black that like, it was look, it's Harry great Potter. And I don't I think I would go to I think we'll go to my grave with that Twitter handle. I would never give it up. Well, oh yes, like that's that's one you bequeath to someone. Yeah. Like that's just too good. We're never yes. getting it. No, never. No. Yeah. And the guy's just been sitting on it for like years <laughs> doing nothing. Yeah, well. Oh, hater. Well, maybe someday it'll be part of the purge. And then after we're successful, we'll just change the name again. <laughs> People, companies do it all the time. They do. That's true. That's Every true. time banks get acquired, they just change their name. So we'll just do that. That's true. Look, uh, I started out with First Chicago Bank, went to Bank One, and now it's Chase. So see, you yeah. never know. People get used to we change; get, they don't get as bothered yeah, by it as you would think. That's um, true. So change is inevitable. I say we just we. This is our. This is the wrap up, and I say we just publish it. <laughs> it's a wrap. It's a, I'm good. It's a wrap. Yep. See, we did.